Welcome to the new podcast, Leading by History, where we seek to take our listeners on a journey through history and educational leadership, changing our world and society one story at a time. Last week, we spoke with Dr. Adam Ewing from VCU's African-American History Department. For those of you who really enjoyed that conversation, part one, here's part two. We were touching off on that, that faith, mm. right? Um, you know, the biblical definition of faith is that it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so if you think about what you stated about in order to galvanize and, 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 and lead and move people into a direction of liberation, it takes faith which is that substance. And so regardless of your religious background, that definition being accurate, then there has to be a level of faith applied in any instance in which you attempt to touch the souls of men, right? Because, you know, Garvey said, liberate the minds of men and their bodies will soon follow. So, you know, he's pulling on the souls of mankind. All of us, innately, no matter your color, have some type of inner morality where even if we deny it, Hmm. we know that there are some rights and some wrongs because we know how we want to be treated. And so I think that when we examine black nationalism through the goggles of faith, Hmm. we see why there is a strength to each movement that um, grows from that and springs from that original set of concepts and ideas because enslavement is morally wrong and it's a desire of a people to be free, right? And so if I tell you that you've been enslaved, you've been colonized, you're the victim of imperialism, you've lost your religion, your culture, you've lost your, your language, you've lost your flag, your background, yeah. Your, your historical narrative, yeah. right? Your mores, your folkways. Yeah. Well, that was an evil that was done to you. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so now for you to truly be liberated, those things have to be restored. Yeah. And I think in, in, ancient, in the ancient world, we see that the, the Babylonians would take people and they would, they would roll through a civilization, overpower it, Mm. right? And then allow the people to stay there in that area Mm. under their their control. Mm -hmm. When you get to Assyria, they're now removing people from parts of the empire and shifting them to other places, Mm. uprooting them. Because in the earlier forms of, of conquering, it was enough to just influence people with your culture and and create a blend of cultures in which yours was the dominant mm-hmm. and people would 
submit to that form of culture. We see the same thing with Hellenism, with the, the Greeks, mm. you know, going around the world and spreading this Greek culture around the world. Mm. But the Assyrians had the concept that if I leave you in your native land, then there's a level of comfort. Mm. And eventually what you're going to want to do is use your knowledge of the land and the landscape, the geography, to begin to plot on a way to get from under our rule, right? Because they understood that the nature of man was not to accept enslavement, right? And, and, and to be conquered. And so they would uproot and move people to other sides of the empire. Mm. And so you would get these groups of people that would be from maybe um, uh, the Western regions of what we call the, the Middle Eastern area, Fertile Crescent, mm -hmm. and remove them and take them over somewhere to India. <coughs> or whatever the case. Mm. That way you don't have the advantage of geography, your sacred temples, shrines, and things that you hold dear are not constantly um, inspirations for your rebellion, yeah. right? So we see through the history of the world that when people were conquered, their soul in a sense had to be taken from them. You had to rob people of language and impose your language on them. You had to rob them of their religious beliefs and impose yours upon them. And that's a form of enslavement. And it seems that Garvey understood that as long as we did not return back to that which was black and continued right. to be bombarded by whiteness and the privilege, the ideas of privilege and power that come with that yep. social construct, that we could never truly have yeah. freedom. Yeah. Which is why it, would, it was about being separate, right? Yeah. I think what, what I think, yes, I think, I think that's absolutely right. And I, I think that, you know, one of the things that I've really spent a lot of time looking at is, is the other side of the equation, which is the way that, the way that authorities responded to that message and, and the way that, that intellectually, in this country in particular, that message of, of black nationalism has been delegitimized mm. and and cast given given this language of impossibility. Mm. Right? Because because you're absolutely right that that I, I that, that that this this is a grave threat to this colonial project, which is to erase and to rebuild and colonialism requires that everyone who is colonized um, accepts the new logic and religion and faith of the colonial power because the, 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 the colonizer is trying to remake the world. They're trying to reshape that space in their image. And the, the promise that the colonizer holds out is one day, you will be free just as soon as you become like us. Right. That's, that's the promise. Mm -hmm. And usually it's, it's going to be hundreds, thousands of years, but, you know, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's, we are, you know, sometimes the colonial state is act, so it starts actively grooming people to start to take over. But the crucial element of that, because in that model, even when formal colonialism ends, what Nkrumah called neocolonialism begins. Right. The crucial element is the buy-in that your path 
comes through the world that we have constructed for you. And if you want to continue to thrive and succeed and, and have a taste of liberation, it has to be the way that we're defining it. And so in that context, because that has been, that has been the mode by which Europe has, has expanded, across, expanded across the world over those hundreds of years. Um, and the United States created a colonial situation for, for black people. Um, in that mode, the message that Garvey had is, is revolutionary to an extent that, that you know, is, is perhaps the, the revolutionary message because it's the, it's the message that upends the entire structure, which only works if everyone is working within this shared universe and path toward liberation. And Garvey's saying, no, the path to liberation is you reject that. You have to reject that. Um, and, and, and this message again and again gets its great, it gets, it has real appeal, right? It has real appeal again and again, all these different organizations. It's not just Garvey before it's, it's emigration movements. It's, it's, it's through, you know, religious organization. It's Moorish sites, temple, it's nation of Islam. It's, it's Rastafari. I mean, there's all these different paths through which people come to this awakening where they say, look, we are colonized still. We have to emancipate our minds. Um, but the way in which the colonial state or the American state as colonizer has responded to that is by expending great intellectual energies to paint black nationalism as impossible, as fanatical, as irrational. And it has been successful in doing that at, at this sort of broad level of, you know, the, the world that I live in, this sort of intellectual world, um, the way that, that sort of, you know, the American Academy writes about Garvey is, is shocking. Mm. You, would never, you would never know that Garvey had the significance that he had reading through sort of narratives of black history through the American Academy. Mm. Garvey is viewed, Garvey sort of arrives and he does like lots of things, lots of colorful things, and then he, get, you know, he gets arrested and that's sort of the end of the story. And Garvey right. just, just goes away. Right, and all of the focus of this narrative is on the integrationist story, right? right. There's this, this heroic struggle of black people to make America whole again. Right, and be right? a part of, of, yeah. of the status quo yeah. in America. Right? Bill, as Barack Obama said, build a, make a more perfect union, right? right? Barack Obama comes from that tradition right. of let us as black people redeem America through our suffering and through our ability to make America live up to its foundational promises. Right. And, and that, Garvey rejects that. And Gar says, Garvey says that. Build a world of our own. He says, you have to build a world of your own. Right. Right? This is, this is the whole meaning of, of Africa for the Africans. At home and abroad. Garvey right. says, right? But Gar it's, it's more than that, right? Because Garvey says, Europe for the Europeans. Right. Asia for the Asians. Mm -hmm. Right? Australia for the Australians. Africa for the Africans. And what he, and, 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 you know, what he is saying there, right, is, look, the only way that this, the only way that we can have peace is if everyone has their self, their, their, their land, their ability to govern themselves, that in this world, with all of us being able to develop in our own way, from the, the center of our own culture and our own needs, only then can we actually have peace. Only then can we negotiate as, as equals. Right, right, because you have to, and, th and this is what you hear reverberated in, in El Haj Malik Shabazz, Malcolm X, is that You'll never be respected as a group of people until you have your own. And, and, this, and this was a part of Garvey's messages that 
if every other race has been able to do it. Absolutely. Then you deserve to be oppressed. You deserve to be downtrodden. You deserve to be maligned by the world if you can't do it. Right. And he talks about how while Europe was still drinking the blood out of the skulls of their conquered dead. That's right. You know, the Africans were raising pyramids and building civilization. And that is your ancestral heritage that you need to reconnect with. Because if you can't build for yourself and do for yourself, you are unfit. And you, as he said, I quote, you deserve to die. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> powerful words. It's powerful. It's powerful words. Yeah, yeah. And but but you know what what he what he what he's trying to do is to is to is to shake people, shake people from the idea that negotiation is possible mm-hmm. essentially, right? And shake people from the idea that that the promises that are being offered, by you know in in the American context by the American state that 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 is the path to to liberation. He said, but he, yeah. I'm sorry, but he has a. He's got a twist, though, because he's a supporter of Booker T. Washington, yeah. whose idea was, let's show America how, how good we are, That's that true. we're worthy by what we build in helping America, uh, you yeah, know, to, 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 to continue to grow, right? Let's, yeah. let's lend our collective capital towards the, the nation uh, of America and their, th- thereby show that we're men, that we're equals. So how does Garvey, in Mm. your opinion, accept the ideology of Booker T? And he looks up to him strongly, right? Uh, Disagrees majorly with Du Bois and sees that group as this uh, elitist group of black people who think through tinkering with with, uh, language and literature would somehow save the race. Yeah. Where he says, you need to be engineers. You need to be focused on STEM before we even had what they called STEM science and technology and, yeah. and building. So how does he follow Booker T? <laughs> yeah. Then he ends up in a completely different place where I don't think Booker T would have even, you know, gotten with the message of Garvey. Yeah. Well, you know, Booker, Booker T. Washington is an interesting character. Yes. You know, on the one hand... Like Booker, you know, he was Booker T. Washington was, you know, sort of. He 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 put on this very carefully crafted mask, mm. um, for strategic reasons. You know, whether he was right or wrong, you know, he 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 made the calculation that the best course of action was to suck up to white philanthropists to. Um, make this bargain at a time when he felt like he wasn't giving anything up because everything had already been lost and and focus on community building and economic empowerment by the way you know behind the scenes he was using like third parties to launch legal challenges you know he he leveraged his friendships with with people like Theodore Roosevelt to help save to he played a crucial role in saving Liberia from colonization in, in the early 20th century when, when, when Theodore Roosevelt was president, uh, getting the United States to intervene when France and Britain was about to move in and, 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 and colonize Liberia. So he's complicated in that sense, but he's also complicated, you know, the way that Booker T. Washington was understood globally is, is, is very different than the way that we've come to understand him. A lot of, you know, 
in the United States. He was revered in Africa and in Cuba and in Jamaica and in other places as, as a, a symbol of black pride and black power, mm. as someone who had built this institution in the teeth of Jim Crow from nothing into this, you know, this powerful international university that people, Afri people of African descent from all over the world came to study at. Um, and, you know, I think, I think there were, you know, in, in the colonies, there were a lot of people that, that followed Booker T. Washington's path, which was to perform black ownership and black leadership in a way that undermined the, the logic of colonialism, which is that black people aren't ready to lead. Mm. Um, and so I think, I think I, you know, the, the first, first way that I, I sort of answer that is to say that Booker T. Washington meant different things. You know, Booker T. Washington was also, his, his ideas were also useful for colonial agents in building, you know, an, edu a, 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 an education system in the United States and in the colonies. Um, of Africa, um, Booker T. Washington collaborated with colonial, like the, the German in German Togo, sent Tuskegee students to help teach Africans how to grow cotton, um, and 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 did and 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 was also sort of this 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 figure that aided in the building of of a of a colonial state at the same time, and certainly had this philosophy of we need to accommodate, we need to accommodate white people, which doesn't, which doesn't seem to 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 jive with, with Garvey. Um, although, you know, the other thing is that Garvey, Garvey's, Garvey's approach, his strategy, his sense of what was needed shifted a lot of different times. You know, when Garvey was in Jamaica, he was, he was very much, you know, he wanted, he, he came to the United States initially to raise money to build an industrial institute that mm. would be like Booker T. Washington, you know, like Tuskegee. Um, he, he was a, a rabid, in Jamaica, he was, he, he boasted that his organization, the UNIA, back when it was the Jamaican, the, the, the first version of it, the UNIA was supportive of the war effort and, and, you know, sent a congratulatory message to the queen and, you know, or to the queen, to the, <laughs> to the king, um, and, and was very much sort of this, in, in, this supportive of the, the imperial effort to, you know, to, to win the war, which is something that changed when he got to the United States, when he joined the New Negro Movement, which was rooted in rejection of the war effort and, and rejection of black people fighting mm -hmm. in white people's wars. And so he started in this space and then moved into this, this, the, these radical years when he was really preaching revolution in, in the Caribbean and Africa for a brief moment. And then, you know, backed off of that a little bit and, and mm -hmm. entered into these alliances with with white nationalists, um, mm. you know, with, with, um, Ernest Sevier Cox here in Richmond and, and, the, mm. and, and, um, and with Theodore Bilbo, the, the white supremacist Senator from Mississippi in, in trying to pursue the common aim of repatriation of, mm. of, of black people. So he, he's, so, so in, in the actual sort of day-to-day -day maneuvers that Garvey took, there's an evolution there, or there's ebbing and flowing, or there's, there's Garvey sort of trying to understand as a politician, as a political figure, also someone that was facing deportation and was right. very conscious of that. Um, how do I how do I navigate in the here and now, while also projecting this prophetic message? And I think a compromise that Garvey made in the United States was, you know, Garvey's goal was always Africa. 
right? Garvey's perspective was the only way that any of us are going to get free is if we liberate the continent. And the message that Garvey continued to send to Africa was always, we need to rise up and throw the Europeans out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, but his message in the United States shifted. He, he became much less aggressively critical of the U.S. government, for example, after 1921 and 1922. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That, in many ways, is... Is at the is the way to understand a lot of a lot of the impact that Garvey had. You know, he was he was in in, in terms of of Garvey himself articulating an economic platform, or or articulating sort of a a, a political platform for liberation. He wasn't as successful in that, right? I mean, his economic programs. Right, they didn't do very well over the uh, period of time. Right, they didn't do very well. Um, I mean, I don't think that was, I think it's also a little unfair to just say, well, you know, the Black Star Line didn't, didn't succeed, so Garvey was a bad businessman. I mean, he had a specific purpose for the Black Star Line, which again, I think, I would argue was, was more propagandistic and, and prophetic than right. economic, right? Because he was trying to, he was trying to show, he was trying to show something. He was trying to show something about the power of the United Black people, right? right. He was trying to show something about what needed to be done. He was trying to get people to, you know, as he, he always talked about people waking up, you know, um, people, you know, our, the race is, we are asleep. We need to, we need to wake up. And much of his energy was, was, you know, revolved around that. Um, I actually think that one of the ways that Garvey has been, has been unfairly discredited is by merely focusing on getting into sort of the nuts and bolts of, of what he actually did in, in terms of his, his, his business operations right. and, and, his, and his political projects. And it's important to remember that, that Garvey operated during a period of incredible, incredible, you know, a, a peak period of, of, of white supremacy and, and power and, and a time in which real sort of revolutionary change was very hard to imagine. And so it, it, it seems... It seems I, I think it's I think it's misleading and unfair to to try to understand Garvey's legacy through those through those paths because there was something more far-reaching. But I think right? yeah, well, but I think the same thing goes for Booker T. Washington too. I mean, I think Booker T. Washington's economic plan this this idea that we just don't push for political power and just focus on 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 building economic wealth made no sense because political power was the thing that protected wealth and whites used political power to steal wealth. Correct. So, <laughs> um, but again, the, you know the, the you know Garvey Garvey I think what what made Garvey more important than Booker T Washington was mm. I think Booker T Washington was was interested in empowerment and understood this and understood what and it had a very Booker T. Washington was a, a brilliant politician, sort of understood what was possible, understood how to get things, understood how to build a movement and build supporters. And he was an incredible orator and he had all of these gifts. But to your point, he didn't have the prophetic right. part. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that Garvey added to Booker T. Washington. But that, but that changes everything. Well, it does because I think <clears throat> you can also see the same thing in Du Bois, right? He, he, he didn't link himself to this, um, what, what Cornell West would call this black prophetic line, right? right. And tradition. Right. He didn't link himself to that either. And so even though we have great respect for 
the intellectualism of Du Bois yeah. and, and from the writings and the work and the yeah. volumes that, that he put out. Yeah. And we have respect for um, the understanding of, of shrewd business relationships and, yeah. and, and function of Booker T. Yeah. Neither of them tapped into the deep waters, into those still waters. Neither one of them tapped into mm. that prophetic tradition mm. and therefore limited the scope of their movement. Yeah. Just as we see Carter G. Woodson talks about the problems in Miseducation to the Negro yeah. with black businesses and black political organizations is that they're built around the cult of personality. Mm. And so once that individual leaves, they've never trained anyone to take their place. Yeah. And so those businesses die. But see, when you tap into that spiritual tradition, which is inherent in black people, yeah. generally, you couldn't survive the Middle Passage. Mm. You couldn't survive enslavement without mm. having a spiritual core. Mm. And so it was tapping into that spiritual core, which took the message of Garvey far beyond even just the black nationalist thoughts yeah. into thinking more about man's relationship to the world, uh, to the nation, and to the universe, yeah. and thereby to his and her creative uh, a source. So to me, yeah. the legacy of Garvey is not encapsulated in just his political Absolutely. outlook, Absolutely. but there was a... Uh, a, a spiritual prepping for the new generations that we needed to be able to find our own individual black Christ, right? To be able to understand our connections to our spirit because it was through those connections that we would have the resilience and the strength yeah. to fight the struggle. Yeah, and uh, and so yeah. um, I think that you see yeah. the impact of Garvey yeah. um, in the religious movements that spring from his ideology. Yeah. And uh, you get people like Ben Ami, who died a few years ago, who led the African Hebrew Israelites of Jerusalem mm. and calls Jerusalem a part of northeastern Africa and said it is the center for the redemptive struggle of black people, yeah. right? This is born out of this Garvey-esque kind of thinking and mapping of the <coughs> world into sacred places yeah. around the continent of Africa, which is the holy land for all black people yeah. in the diaspora, but also a possible holy land for all races and nations of people yeah. in general. I think that... Yeah. To me, yeah, is the power yeah. of Marcus Garvey. Very well said. I love that. <laughs> well, this is, this has been fantastic, um, and I think that we've we've been able to have a chat. And again, this wasn't planned because <laughs> I would have set some audio up, and we could have really, you know. But I think that this was good for us to have this kind of conversation. What are what are your parting words to the audience? Anything you're working on now? Your books so that they can know more about what you do. Sure. Well, um, yeah, I'm, this, this, is a, this is a very helpful conversation because I'm actually working on a big, a big book about uh, Pan-Africanism mm. in, in a global sense, but one that, that is very different than the way that a lot of texts about Pan-Africanism 
express the movement and one that really tries to understand Pan-Africanism in exactly the ways that you were just talking about as something that is rooted in that black nationalist tradition, rooted in that prophetic tradition that is trying to find, you know, these liberated zones and to build liberated zones into places that can pry apart the world as it exists and build a new world, build a new foundation, build new theologies, build new ways to live in equality. Yeah. That's that's what I'm working on. I wrote right. a book called The Age of Garvey. All right. About Garveyism. All right. All right. All right. Do you have it? No, I do not. It's here. It's yours. I do now. Thank you. All right. The Age of Garvey, how a Jamaican activist created a mass movement and changed global black politics. Dr. Adam Ewing of VCU. Well, we thank you, and I thank you, actually, uh, for um, having that time to come in and dialogue. Thank you for the book as well. Um, I've I've got... I've got plenty of reading that's going to hold me down for a long time. (laughs) And so this is going to be a part of what we're going to be looking into. Um, I haven't done many shows on black nationalists or black prophetic tradition or anything of that nature. But I think coming off of uh, the previous um, week's episode and talking with with Dr. Harold Mm -hmm. from UVA... I think it just was a good foundation for the discussion that we had today. And so um, this was really good. So all the best Great. to you and your work. All the and, best to you. And to what you do. I'm to get my hands on those books at some point. Th- <laughs> leave leave <laughs> yeah. through them. That's right. These valuable books you're carrying. That's around. right. Thanks so much. And from Leading by History, we say peace. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Leading by History podcast. And we look forward to getting back together with you again on our next show. Until then, peace.